Hello, fellow travelers, and welcome to Adventures in Security, episode 38 for September 9th, 2006. I'm your host, Tom Olzak. You can find the information covered in our episodes at adventuresinsecurity.com on the podcast page. If you're interested in commenting on what you hear or about topics you'd like us to talk about, please send email to podcasts at adventuresinsecurity.com. In this episode, I'm going to cover four short topics. The importance of change management, the potential security risks when desperation enters the project lifecycle, how virtual floors uh, can provide secure, flexible business-to-business connectivity, and finally, a look at some ways to handle sensitive information once printed, copied, or faxed. So let's get started with change management. Uh, The incident that prompted me to uh, put together this this, uh, bit of information was the compromise of about 21,000 federal student loan uh, participant names, social security numbers, birth dates, and addresses um, because of a of a glitch in some in a department a Department of Education website that was put together by a company called Affiliated Computer Services or ACS. And I have two words for the IT teams at both of those organizations: change management. You know, I have find it very hard to believe that an application that allows multiple unauthorized views can slip past unit testing, quality assurance testing, and user acceptance testing without being caught. Further, what validation testing takes place once applications are moved to production that ensures secure delivery of services? Change management is an important part of any security program. It mitigates the risk caused by programming or program design errors. It's not just a rubber stamp sign-off to approve a change. It also includes a general methodology that helps reduce the risk that the confidentiality, integrity, and availability of the effective data will not be compromised. A big part of the change management process is testing, both before and after an application is moved to production. Unit testing is performed by the developers to make sure no glaring errors exist and to ensure compliance with technical design requirements. QA testing goes further by conducting regression tests to verify that functionality and availability requirements have been satisfied. Finally, UAT or unit acceptance or user acceptance testing allows the end users to verify that the end product meets their expectations. Another outcome of testing is confirmation that the move to production, validation, and backout processes work correctly. The move to production production process guides the implementation team through the steps leading to a fully functional production environment. They, in collaboration with the business users, follow the validation process to ensure that all functional, technical, and security requirements were effectively realized in production. If the validation process fails, the backout process is used to reverse the implementation steps, returning the production environment back to its original state. Yes, coding errors do slip through even the best change management processes. However, IT executives in the private sector seem to be held at a higher standard when breaches occur. In fact, excuses are less likely to be accepted in the face of increasing issues with information security. I hope we begin pushing for the same accountability in government agencies. Let's ask our government bureaucrats to spend less time generating hole-in-the-dike press releases and more time developing and managing processes that produce consistent, secure IT outcomes. You know, this piece may sound like I'm on my soapbox, and you're right, I am. 
but I'm getting really tired of the reports of my information as a veteran being exposed and I'm you know I'm also a recipient of federal loans and so I have a vested interest in the government keeping my information or keeping their information private and um, I'd certainly I know that if 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 I was responsible for the release of protected health information or uh, other or private uh, employee information at my place of business I would be terminated if uh, if negligence was proved and I just hope that the government agencies start holding their IT people to the same standards so the next piece is about desperation and um, you know over the last week at the office it's been a testament to my security team's patience and perseverance Every day, at least one person has run into the security area for telling gloom and doom if his or her change wasn't approved immediately. The expectation is that one of my analysts will attest to the appropriateness of the proposed change on the spot. Needless to say, there was considerable frustration in certain delivery teams when we declared that we needed time to actually assess the effects of the change. Go figure. Don't get me wrong, every person in our IS department wants to adhere to the change management process. Each business analyst, network engineer, and programmer is dedicated to ensuring the confidentiality, availability, and integrity of our data. However, there are those times when desperation seems to override a focus on due diligence. I think every IT professional has been in the position in which a business user is applying significant pressure to get a change moved to production. This is especially true in those cases where we've committed to an implementation date that we're having trouble meeting. And when the pressure becomes intense as it begins to bear down from even higher levels of management, we're tempted to cut some corners. There's always risk associated with cutting corners, however. In security, there's the risk that a quick scan of change specifications might result in an analyst missing something that actually lowers the level of system or network trust. New trust boundaries might be missed, or vulnerabilities might change in existing trust boundaries. Access controls used might not be commensurate with data classifications. Finally, the complexity of managing a system after a new implementation or upgrade might increase to the point where secure management of system resources will be extremely difficult, if not impossible. As security professionals, we often have a responsibility to be the ones who keep the cool heads when the implementation train is flying out of control toward a partially completed trestle like that metaphor? It's our job to regain control so that a reasonable assessment can identify any issues that might affect system availability or assurance. Of course, in a perfect world, security would be involved early enough in each project so that the final sign-off is just a formality. Now let's move on to something that uh, our engineering team is pretty proud of, and that's the, the concept of virtual floors. One of our biggest challenges is providing secure, long-term connections between external business entities and our enterprise network. Until recently, this consisted of entity-specific firewall, router, and switch configurations to appropriately block or route traffic. Typically, this required a unique assessment and solution for each instance. About 30 days ago, however, we implemented a concept we call virtual floors. Working with our engineering team, We've done a pretty good job of securing not only the network perimeter, we've also managed to create system level perimeters 
to harden the internal network components. Much of our security infrastructure is based on the concept of VLANs. Using VLANs, we're able to easily control traffic within the data center as well as between the floors in our over 500 facilities. When the time came to redesign our network core, we discussed several ways to allow current and future business partners to access our network resources. This access provides support for activities ranging from support of servers and data storage devices to software management by organizations to which we've outsourced some of our development work. Our senior network engineer came up with the idea of treating external businesses as though they were floors in our own corporate office. Our corporate office consists of 16 floors. Each floor is a separate VLAN. This allows us to control traffic flowing between each floor and the data center. It also provides for quick isolation of a floor to contain the effects of a security incident. By adding a virtual floor for each externally connected business entity, we maintain a level of network abstraction while using standard company methods to control traffic. Granted, this approach requires some cooperation on the part of the external entities affected, but we haven't had any issues getting our partners to cooperate. Further, this approach provides reasonable and appropriate protection for both our business partners and us for networks over which we have no control while allowing maximum flexibility in managing business-to-business -business connectivity. Another advantage is the ease with which we can add an additional business. It takes very little effort to safely connect an external entity. Instead of being one more security headache when an additional connection is required, a standard policy-compliant process is followed by engineering. No infrastructure configuration is perfect, including this one, and I'm sure we'll eventually discover some weaknesses. But for now, it's working beautifully. And now we arrive at our final segment, which I call, But What About the Paper? One morning, a friend of mine received an email from a concerned employee asking him to take a look in one of the corporate copy or print rooms. According to this person, documents containing EPHI, or Electronic Protected Health Information, had been printed, not picked up, and were lying on the counter for the world to see. When he checked, he discovered a number of admitting forms containing patient name, address, social security number, and other items covered under the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, or HIPAA. He immediately picked up the printed documents and personally delivered them to the appropriate manager, with a gentle reminder about security. This wasn't a malicious act. An employee printed the forms, got busy, and just didn't make it to the printer. However, this inadvertent act of omission resulted in the potential compromise of protected health information. EPHI isn't the only information subject to compromise when reports and forms are left lying at printers, faxes, copiers, or on desks. Most larger organizations do a pretty good job of securing the network, but information still manages to leak the old-fashioned way, via paper. Some of the data, which when compromised might harm your company, employees, customers, or investors, include network diagrams containing system names, IP addresses, and other configuration information, employee payroll information, which might include social security numbers, dates of birth, employee IDs, and department. Employee IDs and department are excellent pieces of information for anyone who wants to launch a social engineering attack against your company. You might also find internal costs of products or services or lists of account names for operating system or application access lying around. 
Anyone walking through an office can easily obtain paper-based information left lying on printers, desktops, or in trash receptacles. So how can you defend against this threat? Well, under no circumstances should users print sensitive information to printers in remote locations unless one of the following guidelines is followed. First, someone should be standing by to pick it up. Or, the print device should be within a very short walking distance, for example in a department or floor printer room, so that sensitive output can be retrieved quickly. Or, finally, the print device should support secure printing. Secure printing is a method by which a, a user can send sensitive information to a print device and associate a password with it so that it doesn't print until the user arrives at the print device, enters the password, and in, which instructs the printer to go ahead and print the job. The bottom line, sensitive information must be retrieved immediately after it's printed. The security classification of the most sensitive data contained in the report or document should be printed or stamped on the document or report, where it can be easily seen by anyone handling it. Likewise, information received on a fax machine shouldn't be left to be picked up by an individual without proper authorization. And finally, employees should be reminded often about ensuring originals are removed from copiers. Once in the hands of responsible employees, there's still the challenge of ensuring sensitive reports or documents are not left lying inappropriately on someone's desk. Care should be taken to prevent other employees or visitors from viewing the information if they aren't authorized to do so. Getting into the habit of placing sensitive information into locked drawers or cabinets when not being used for a current task is a valuable safeguard. Every organization's security program should include a policy on the proper handling of printed material. This policy, along with the rest of the policies, standards, and guidelines that make up the program, should be made part of an ongoing employee security awareness program. Well, that's it for this episode. I hope I was able to help you make your network a little bit safer. And until next time, be careful what you click. <laughs>